to this podcast where I'm going to highlight some of the most notable papers that were published in 2019 and that we reviewed here in the Cytokine Signaling Forum. Now, just to be clear, it's not necessarily the best 10 papers of the year, but they were papers that we enjoyed reading and we thought were probably important for you to reflect on. It's, it's been an extraordinary year in, in rheumatology 2019, bringing to the end uh, a really remarkable decade when you think about it. We've had whole new classes of drugs introduced in the management of the inflammatory rheumatic diseases. And it is really such an exciting time to be a rheumatologist, notwithstanding that we have incredible unmet need amongst the people with rheumatic musculoskeletal diseases around the world. So when we read these papers, when we reflect on progress in the last year, we should do, with, do so with, with a sense of optimism but also with a, with a measured view, thinking that, you know, there's a lot of work still to do. Now, the first uh, set of papers I want to refer you back to are uh, studies that were advanced clinical trial data covering uh, new agents coming our way, filgotinib, padacitinib, pefcitinib. And we, we've highlighted particularly uh, four papers in, in, in this area. Uh, the first is the, the, the study uh, describing the efficacy and safety of filgotinib. Erin Vesthovens and, and colleagues uh, published this, the Finch 3. And this is the primary outcome data, major pivotal trial for the development of filgotinib, a JAK1 inhibitor for use in people with rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, and this is a, a, a group of patients who are naive even to methotrexate therapy. And the, the top line here is that filgotinib behaved very well, the, the efficacy rates were highly satisfactory, and the adverse event rates pretty much as expected and tolerable. Um, Finch 1 is a, a parallel study, first author here, Bernard Combe, uh, and we, we also highlighted that. These were patients who had had a previous inadequate response to methotrexate. And when you put Finch 1 and Finch 3 together, I think we're pretty persuaded that the, the JAK1 inhibitor uh, approach is going to be a, a highly effective one for the, for the management and treatment of people with RA. And I suspect also other disease states. We've seen, for example, phase two data with filgotinib in people with psoriatic arthritis. And, uh, and we will, I think, see this as a medicine of the, of the future. Uh, the other uh, couple of phase three trials to highlight to you, well, uh, upadacitinib, a, a JAK1 selective agent. Uh, the, the study we highlighted from this year was Joseph Smolin's paper in The Lancet, uh, looking at upadacitinib as monotherapy, people with active rheumatoid arthritis. And again, these were methotrexate IR patients. Top line here again, upadacitinib performed well. It's an efficacious medicine as monotherapy, and that gives us options. Uh, and finally, the, a paper from Tom Takuchi uh, published in Annals of Rheumatic Diseases, uh, looking at the efficacy and safety of pefcitinib. Uh, and again, patients with rheumatoid arthritis, methotrexate IR, and again, showing that uh, pefcitinib, which is more of a, a pan, maybe more JAK3 inhibitor, uh, highly efficacious in people with rheumatoid arthritis. Now, that medicine is only really going to be used in Japan. Uh, so it's general uh, global impact, much less clear. Now, just taking all of these things together, we now have pretty good evidence that the range of JAK inhibitors are going to offer efficacy in people with inflammatory arthritis. The outstanding question for 2020 is whether within JAK family selectivity, you know, highly JAK1 selective as opposed to maybe JAK1, JAK2, JAK1, JAK3, really the question is going to be whether that confers additional value. Is it going to lead to a toxicity saving? And really at the moment, I think it's too early for us to know. That said, we have great 
long-term safety data now for some of our other medicines. So I wanted to highlight uh, three papers which uh, look at um, tofacitinib and uh, baricitinib. Uh, the, the first manuscript studying tofacitinib in combination with methotrexate in people with rheumatoid arthritis. And this was the, the um, outcome of safety in the 24-month phase 3 oral scan study. First author here, Desiree van der Heide. Uh, they, and the top line here is no new unexpected changes in the safety profile for tofacitinib. Uh, and, and interesting, so Desiree has always... Uh, the, the, the interest in radiographic progression. And in this paper, she also reported the very satisfactory impact on radiographic progression for tofacitinib in combination with methotrexate in people with rheumatoid arthritis. So uh, reassuring safety data, no new signals, uh, and also the, the, the reassuring knowledge that radiographic progression is pretty much abrogated by this therapeutic approach. Um, quick comment on, on general safety of the, the JAK inhibitors as we come to the end of the year. Continued vigilance required. We are continuing to be interested in viral infections, for example, general infectious risk. And also there are uh, black box warnings out now for uh, venous thromboembolism. So really vigilance required. And I would direct you to the regulatory agency websites for detailed consideration of that. And again, any discussion of safety and the, the JAK inhibitor class at this moment requires that remark. Another really interesting paper uh, from uh, Daphne Gladman looking at changes in lipid levels and the instance of cardiovascular events in people receiving tofacitinib who have psoriatic arthritis. Now, it's very well known that lipid levels do change upon receipt of most of the JAK inhibitors uh, in people with rheumatoid arthritis. In general, uh, a rise in LDL, HDL, total cholesterol, uh, all occurring over the first three months or so of therapy. Uh, these were the first data to report similar phenomenon in people with psoriatic arthritis. The take home here, the changes look largely similar in PSA as to RA. And at the moment, no obvious signal for MACE, major adverse cardiovascular events. But again, I would caution us to be overconfident here. I think we've got to really look at the literature carefully and also not make the assumption that different drugs will behave similarly in different diseases. Psoriatic arthritis is kind of interesting. The, the, the psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis disease spectrum has a pretty significant metabolic disease component. So we shouldn't make an assumption that a lipid rise there will be similar in its impact clinically to a lipid rise in people with rheumatoid. So again, vigilance is ever required. And finally, I want to refer you to nice paper from Bernard Combe again, uh, efficacy and safety uh, based on historical or pre-existing conditions at baseline for people with active rheumatoid who are treated with baricitinib. Now, why this paper? Well, the, the real world is that people don't come with one disease alone. People come with a whole range of pre-existing conditions. The concept of multi-morbidity, two or more coexistent long-term conditions. And therefore, it's really important for us when we're thinking about interpretation of trial data to look at those trial data in the context of what is more likely to be our daily challenge. And Bernard and his colleagues in this very interesting paper point out that the, the efficacy is actually pretty well sustained. And the safety signals are not alarming in people with pre-existing conditions. But I refer you to the paper for the details. I think that's a really interesting real-world paper to help us derive from clinical trial analysis. 
Um, moving to, to switching, uh, not a lot of switching data available yet. A couple of papers I would suggest you have a look at here. First, um, from uh, Yoshira Tanaka, clinical outcomes in people switched from adalimumab to baricitinib uh, due to non-response or, or study design imperatives. Again, this from the baricitinib uh, phase three development program. And the, the take home here is that if people move from adalimumab to baricitinib, your expectation should be that their clinical responses will be maintained and uh, that that is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. So something to, to say to patients should they uh, be either a non-responder to adalimumab or for other reasons potentially wishing to make a change. Uh, Similarly, we have safety and effective data now from uh, Roy Fleischmann uh, concerning upadacitinib or adalimumab uh, on background methotrexate uh, in people with rheumatoid arthritis over 48 weeks. And here there was a, a switch component to the analysis to the alternate therapy, demonstrating that switching does yield a therapeutic benefit for patients. So again, an increased volume of information for us when we're starting to introduce the JAK inhibitors and paracitinib, uh, new kid in the block. So reassuring evidence that it can be used in the event of failure of adalimumab and vice versa for that matter. Um, and one final remark around a preclinical paper. Uh, I have to declare a conflict of interest. I'm an author in this manuscript, but it is kind of interesting that the the next space, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, is going to be working out whether selectivity really matters clinically. I think especially in the adverse event space, but even potentially in achieving maximal uh, efficacy benefit. We haven't really yet explored a flexible dose ranging in the short term, for example, in the JAK inhibitor class. That's work for the future. But this is a, a study that, that we published in arthritis research uh, very recently comparing in an ex vivo uh, cellular assay, the selectivity of baricitinib, paracitinib, and tofacitinib. And we found that the, the selectivities were maybe a little different from those that we might have predicted on the basis of uh, kinase cell-free assays. Whether that really matters in the clinic or not, I rather doubt, because what is clear is that all of the three agents that we tested are highly efficacious and really quite well tolerated in, in clinical practice. But if you're interested in how these different drugs behave in vitro, this would be an interesting paper to go and have a look at. Well, that's all I want to say to you at the moment. Thanks ever so much for listening. It's been a fabulous year, 2019. It's been a great year in rheumatology. I hope you found the Cytokine Signaling Forum a, a useful educational resource. Um, I want to take this opportunity to thank the, the CSF team in the background. You don't see them, you don't hear from them, but they're absolutely fantastic. They produce a world-class educational resource. The slides, the summaries uh, are really of very high quality indeed. I do hope you find them useful. I also want to thank my fellow members of the, the steering committee, uh, all giving their time, energy, effort and intellect to create an educational resource, which I hope in the end will assist you in your practice and more importantly, will help people with their rheumatic musculoskeletal diseases, because that's really what we're all about. And with that, I want to wish you a very well-deserved break over the holiday period and a fantastic, prosperous and happy new year and new decade. Um, thanks ever so much for your attention to this podcast. Thank <laughs> you.